Welcome to the Arrow Buddhist Tradition podcast series. The following podcast is from a teaching given by Nocturne Rinpoche in San Francisco in 2009 on the subject of relationship as practice. It is based on a book called Entering the Heart of the Sun and Moon, written by Nocturne Rinpoche and his wife, Contradation. For more information about the Arrow Buddhist tradition, please go to the website at arrowbuddhism.org. If you wish to make a donation to support this podcast project, please go to the section of the website labeled How to Help and select Make a Donation. Thank you. One thing I find my, uh, this is probably a really basic question, but uh, I find myself grappling with is like kind of how to listen to what you're saying. So like it's not that I have the great concept but now that's going to do something, or like, like in a way, I want to like grab a hold of them in some way, or like, okay, how do I listen to this, or how, how where's the kind of, what am I trying to accomplish, or, and, and that's not, I don't like that word anymore. I mean, I think. You know, it's not like, okay, so in the end I have a rule to apply or something. Or, um, you know, maybe I have, maybe there is an understanding that arises at some point, but then that's... I think you'll find that everyone's in the same condition. (laughs) Uh, This subject is unique uh, in, in all the things I teach. Um, in as much as there's no linear way through it. Usually what I'm teaching, you wouldn't be saying this because you'd, there'd be an obvious line. There is no lo- obvious line here. So there's, so there's nothing that you're failing to get hold of. It's, it, you can't get hold of it. By the end, you'll have some things to get hold of because it'll start crystallizing. Uh, it, it's highly f- frustrating to listen to it because you're having to hear snatches of this and that. I'm, I'm having to give you technical terminology which will cover what I'm going to say later. You know, and it's um, like you're building up the body from the inside out and you only realize that it's a human being you've made but when you're working on this bone and this part here you can't get any conception of what that's going to look like so I I wouldn't worry about that by the end you're going to have an idea but it's, it's one of those things that remains amorphous until it suddenly comes together I hope So right, now I'm going to give you another lump of um, something. I'm going to talk about nyams. What is meant by the word nyam? A nyam is an unusual experience gained through meditation or gained through uh, disorientation of some kind gained through shock, gained through trauma, 
Now, Nyam, uh, more technically, is the psychophysical elements relaxing into their own condition. In terms of duality, in order to maintain duality, we actually have to work quite hard to keep ourselves in a state of dualistic tension. Um, so when we let go of that process of creating duality for any reason, we will experience nyams. And nyams are the relaxation of the psychophysical elements, earth, water, fire, air, space, however they manifest in terms of physicality, in terms of emotions, the intellect, in terms of the aggregates. When those start to unwind, we experience nyams. I usually describe nyams uh, by an analogy with an elastic band. If you get an elastic band and you start winding it up, you can wind it sufficiently s until it turns into a grotesque little clump. Yeah. You then take that grotesque little clump and you put it on the table and it'll have a spasm. It won't open entirely, but if you leave it long enough it'll have another spasm and it'll keep on having these spasms until it becomes a circle again. Now the spasms it has will depend on the style of winding it up, where the knots lie, how they've come to be there, when they release, so it'll jump left, jump right, jump up, it'll do all kinds of things, it'll have little shivers, it'll do all kinds of things. This is an analogy. So those spasms of the elastic band occur within all the sense fields, including ideation, that is concept consciousness. So you can have uh, hallucinations that are visual, conceptual, olfactory, gustatory, tactile, Conceptual Conceptual hallucination is thinking something about something. It could be a sense of being very happy or being very sad, uh, a <coughs> sense of an, a strange idea, a moment of paranoia uh, about s something, but unusual. <coughs> So these are called nyams, and if you engage in spiritual practice sufficiently, you will experience nyams. How do you spell that? N-Y-A-M, nyam. Now, these experiences are usually categorized <coughs> in terms of attraction, aversion, and indifference, which are our three neurotic impulses, our dualistic impulses. 
So you'll have pleasant yams, unpleasant yams, and uh, nondescript yams, or weird yams. <laughs> nondescript or weird is the same. So there are yams you enjoy, yams you don't enjoy, and yams that are just strange. <laughs> You also have spiritual nyams, love and light, nyams of oneness, the unness of the oneness, or the oneness of the unness, and all that business. And people, uh, unfortunately, <coughs> take these as realizations and become addicted to them. So in terms of both sutra and tantra, one is taught to ignore nyams. They are simply a sign of practice, but if you become addicted to them or relate to them as real, they simply cause an obstacle. So the only thing you can do to them is to let them go. Hence the Zen saying, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. <laughs> Which means if you get some beatific vision, don't become attached to it. You said that Neom's can be obstacles if we... If we attach to them, want to repeat them. And then you, I think you said, so then it's better to not give them our attention? Well, one treats them like thoughts, one lets them go. One doesn't make anything of them and say, ah, now I've got something, now I'm going somewhere, this is a yum, this is very important, etc. You just used to ignore it. Yeah. What's the difference between ignoring and renouncing? Uh, you can only renounce something over which you have some choice. You can renounce, uh, you can become vegetarian and renounce the eating of meat. That's renunciation. You can also ignore meat, you can pretend it's not there. <laughs> Look somewhere else. <laughs> I guess that would be the difference. <laughs> but, but you can only renounce anything you have any choice about. You know, I either do it or I don't do it, and that's within my control. You can't renounce having certain feelings that sweep up on you, because you can't stop them happening. So, so, so you can't renounce that anger, for example. You can renounce acting on anger, but you can't renounce anger. You can let go of it, you can... Um, you can transform it, you can do all kinds of things, but, but you can't renounce it. So nyams then. Then we move on to a special category of nyams, which we come across in Dzogchen Semde. And these are called the Sem nyams. The word Sem here means the nature of mind. As we have a scholar in our midst, I'd better um, say something more particular about that. Mm -hmm. Sem does not mean the nature of mind. <laughs> Sem actually means conceptual mind. But in Dzogchen, uh, the word Sem is used as an abbreviation of Semni, which is the nature of mind. 
So you could say semnyams, but they just say semnyams. This was a mistake that was made by the people who translated Dujarimbache's book, The History and Fundamentals of the Nyingma Tradition, when they describe Semde as the mental series. <laughs> and of course, Semde does mean mental series, unless you happen to know that Sem is a contraction of Semni. But no one would know that unless they knew that. <laughs> there you go. So, the Semnyams. The nyams of the nature of mind. These nyams are known as emptiness and form. The nyam of emptiness is nepa. And nepa is the state in which no thought arises. This in Dzogchen is known as a nyam. It is not the realized state, it is not the non-dual state. Then you have uh, the nyam of gyoa. Gyoa means <coughs> movement. This is the movement of that which arises in mind. And when you find yourself completely identified with the movement of that which arises in mind, that is, you're not watching it, you are identified with it. This is the nyam of nepa, of sorry, of gyowa. The practice of the semnyams is to move between them until you realize that they have the same taste, the same flavor. They are non-dual. This is why, in terms of Dzogchen, emptiness is not the realized state, because you have to define it more closely. Emptiness might be the realized state, it might be the non-dual state, but it depends what happens when form arises. Whether that form is the same or whether it's different. Whether a change has been experienced. I'd be very brief about this because I'm not really giving a, a teaching on um, Semde here, but I'm just saying there are the Semnyams and this is how they're defined. So within Dzogchen, um, the whole idea of Nyam is slightly different. I mean, one still lets go of these meditational experiences, but then there are Nyams with which one actively works in terms of practice. When one is oscillating between the two Nyams of Nepa and Gyowa, then there are certain practices in which one can engage to experience quite explosively the one taste of those two nyams. Mm -hmm. So we here find out that a nyam is not necessarily a potential obstacle, but a nyam can be used. This is a highly specific context uh, in Dzogchen. There's another nyam that is called Hedowa which means something like sh shock amazement and this is created when uh, moving between the nyams 
of Nepa and Gyowa and one might shout out a syllable either ha, hai, pat or whatever and one then finds the presence of awareness in the dimension of the Nyam of Hedawa and if one finds the presence of awareness there then this will be the state of Rigpa the non-dual state So we have Nepa, we have Gyowa, and we have Hedowa, these three kinds of Nyam. In terms of this teaching I'm giving now, uh, the Kandropawa Nida Melongi, uh, we are talking about the Nyam of Kandropawa reflection. Aha! <laughs> Is that the time? I must be going. The Nyam of Kandropawa reflection. This is what we experience when we fall in love. Falling in love is a Nyam. It's called the Nyam of Kandropawa reflection. It is when another person serves as the mirror in which we see the reflection of our own occluded nature. Mike. It also involved the Nyama Pitava falling in love. Well, yeah, if you fell in love with a rhinoceros, I may, I may <laughs> that would be shock amazement. Or is it? No, a shock amazement. Shock, yeah, shock uh, Hedawa is something um, sharp and sudden. It's it, it's it's entirely different. I, I can s I can see how you're thinking, though. Uh, uh, the difference is not worth speaking of in a in a certain way, but it's not the same. But it's 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 in the same area. Mm -hmm. Is this teaching considered same day or long day? Is long day. It's fundamentally long day, but it's long day which uses the terminology of tantra as well as the some aspects of of menak day, but it's fundamentally long day. Mm -hmm. So, is that the feeling of when we say we're falling in love? Is that a glimpse of the non dual state? Yes. Or rather, it's a glimpse of a portal to the non-dual state. Because what we're seeing is, is either our occluded inner method display or our occluded inner wisdom display. But we're seeing it in the other. So we are attracted to what we feel we lack in ourselves even though we don't know we lack it in ourselves because it's, it's occluded mm -hmm. 
Could you say that part again? Falling in love is the of the view of the nun. Click that one second. It's a glimpse at <coughs> the portal of nun. Oh yes, it, it's a glimpse of. Uh, well, you, if you were to you know, describe it in terms of the non-dual state, it's a glimpse of uh, the portal or the threshold of the non-dual state. But what you see in the other is your own inner wisdom display or your own inner method display. Um, the reason that I teach on this subject at all, because you've, uh, I mean, the uh, gentleman at the back, um, you know, to whom I offer all thanks for his honest appraisal of what was going on, is one of the reasons why I, I thought I'd never really teach on this in public. Mm. It's very difficult to teach on this subject because it confuses people for quite a long time before something actually becomes available that they can get hold of. And then I have to persuade them not to get hold of it too tightly. Because <laughs> you can seriously misunderstand it. So you see a reflection. Now, what prompted Kandradeja and I to teach on this and write about it was because we were in a bookstore. I, I believe it was with John at the back there. Walnut Grove or somewhere Creek. like this? <laughs> Walnut Creek? <laughs> Walnut Creek, I think it was Pegasus. <laughs> yeah, and we were sat next to a bunch of books. I, I think it's uh, um, and it's one of the you know th they have different things in bookshops, and they obviously you know decide to s you know you know select the topic of the week and put all the books on that subject on, on, in a little sort of a, a portable bookshelf, and they have it up front. And I was looking at this, and it was all books about relationship. So I just pulled them out idly and looked at them, and they all said the same thing, more or less. And it was horrific. <laughs> I, I can almost quote one of them. It said that falling in love is a relatively harmless pathology, which once it is over, the real work of relationship begins. Oh. And I thought, gag me with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't think that. <laughs> I learned that from a Frank Zappa album. Um, I thought, well, this is kind of tragic, really. You know, that that this is the available wisdom on the subject. So we then felt really obliged to teach the Kandra Power Nida you know, whether people understood it or not, because um, now, of course, I should say at this point that I do not entirely disagree with the book either. <laughs> the whole psychological perspective that we are attracted to similarly damaged human beings is also true. 
Yeah. I'm not saying that that is not true, and that there's not a great deal of pathology that goes on in terms of attraction. Uh, there have been many experiments uh, performed on people in um, therapy situations where they've had a, a whole bunch of people in a room and they've said just wander around and talk to people and um, find yourself in groups where you feel comfortable mm -hmm. and people have done this for a couple of hours and they've ended up in little groups talking and then they've asked them about their family backgrounds and they've all been identical in each group that got together you know uh, and the people who couldn't find groups were orphans <laughs> they were just wandering around not really knowing where they fitted in with other people so um, people often are attracted to each other because of their similar neurosis this is basically what the books all say and it's not untrue but that is not the whole of the story it is useful to remember that that is part of the story and that's the part of the story that kicks in when the nyam dissolves and the nyam always does dissolve unless you maintain it now we come to the part of the course that costs the big money is how you maintain it <laughs> there is a way of maintaining that nyam and that nyam is in itself self-maintained for a period of time and I'll explain why that works and it's really quite interesting why that nyam continues how it functions and the reasons why it dissolves uh, it's impossible for me to say why anyone falls in love with anybody that is ultimately a mystery but why you fall out of love is quite easy to explain that is really extremely clear and obvious so I'm going to run through why that happens and talk about this nyam in terms of how it functions and also to talk about something that is extremely peculiar and that is how samsara offers opportunities to undermine itself yeah is, is this is this particular nyam the only one that's worth holding on to uh, not allowing to dissolve yes <coughs> because it also undermines itself as a nyam it, it, it dissolves into pure functioning or pure manifestation because there's only one way you can hold on to it and that is by not holding on to it as a thing I, I, I'll really elaborate on this tomorrow but today has been really setting up the situation for tomorrow so you'll actually understand what I'm going to say next Oh, 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 uh, uh, 
I, I was, uh, that's an indication that I will get you after this one, because <laughs> this gentleman was first. Um, I have a question about the falling in love and that, and just attraction in general, and just how you described it in this context, as it's in a view of the portal to the non-dual state or to the past that cut off, and also the neurosis part that's happening kind of at the same time. Mm -hmm. And my first question is, is it considered to function in that way, like as a practice or to view it that way when like one person is falling in love with another or does it have to be a mutual falling in love? Oh, it has to be mutual. It has to be a mutual mm -hmm. falling in love for it to function that way. Mm -hmm. And that handles the second question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I'll go into that more tomorrow. according to modern Western psychology, and I have no disagreement with this idea, I've seen it, uh, because they're, s they're similarly, um, uh, they have similar family backgrounds, similar kinds of trauma, similar whatever. It needn't be trauma, of course, it's just a similar family background, that's what attracts them. So what I was saying, that I have no argument with this theory, I think this is working as well. You know, just to point that out, that this isn't running counter to that idea, but whilst that uh, neurotic attraction is functioning, the other is also functioning. And I don't think they both have to be functioning. I think you can get the Kandra Pao Nidat Melong reflection happening irrespective it's just that uh, there's some of this that I'll explain later anyway, but um, that's to divide the two. They're both happening at the same time and they're not connected. Okay. They're not dependent on each other. But when you fall out of love, what happens is then you hit that neurosis fair and square. That's what happens and you've got nothing to protect you from it. That neurosis is not necessarily the part of the the inner nature no, to you. No, no, no. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's similar in some ways uh, to um, what happens with um, tantra. It's often said that the path of tantra is dangerous, and people have some imaginations that there are dangerous things you do but it's not what you do that's dangerous in that sense it's um, it's really the fact that uh, Tantra and working with the Vajra master is something that allows you to sidestep your neuroses you don't have to work through them in the regular way and what enables you to sidestep or to um, not deal with your neurosis in the regular way is devotion. Because your teacher will certainly work with your neuroses. <coughs> and the danger of it is if you fall out of that relationship, then all your neuroses hit you immediately. That's what happens because you can only sidestep them whilst you're in a relationship with a teacher. 
So that can move you on faster, but what supports you is your devotion to your teacher. If you don't have that anymore, suddenly you're all on your own with all your neuroses. And they come back with quite some force. So that's the danger of it. And that, that's similar in some ways with what happens with you know, falling in love. Because falling in love makes you a nicer person for a while. <laughs> but it doesn't necessarily last. Does that make that any more clear? Yeah. Good. Can you can you elaborate or say something more about uh, uh, how the path, if you will, path of falling in love is um, similar? or different from the path of devotion, Nama devotion? It's very similar. Very similar. Energetically it's very similar. Obviously it's very different in some ways uh, because you don't have that kind of one-to-one -one relationship with the teacher uh, unless you're having an interview and you're actually there one-to-one. -one. But there are many similarities that uh, that, that you are carried by that energy and it enables you to do things you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And that's what's important about it. And I think that where that, when that um, devotion fails, it, it's obviously very painful and it's as painful as falling out of love and having a situation like that. It's, um, so there are quite a few similarities. I'm, I'm going to talk, uh, in, um, I'd answer your question more fully, but I'm going to go into that area next. So. Has everyone asked whatever they want to ask? Yep, sure. <coughs> right, I shall continue. Um, we got to talking about nyams, so I'll just run through that again. Uh, a nyam is uh, an experience, a spiritual experience, uh, not necessarily spiritually induced or not necessarily spiritual in what it looks like. Uh, I said that we can have these experiences either through practice and that is not necessarily Buddhist practice, it can be any kind of practice, anything that is disorienting. What I mean by disorienting here is that it disorientates you from your usual orientation. It's something that distracts you from duality. So this happens to people uh, who get hit by trucks. <laughs> you get hit by a truck, you end up in hospital, you don't know how you got there. Uh, and people often <coughs> have spiritual experiences in hospitals for that reason. This is why I, I took short 
nurse training. I, I, I never completed it because I, I won't go into that story. But anyway, uh, one of the things uh, we studied there was how to look after a patient. And it was quite interesting. Um, uh, you were supposed to get recognizable things for them from home, pictures of family, etc. I, I won't go into detail. So they would feel less disoriented. Mm. And I thought, oh, that is interesting. They've obviously seen this as a problem. Mm -hmm. mm. The people don't like feeling disoriented. Uh, of course, they're not out to encourage nyams in particular. They're out <laughs> to get the person to feel better. And certainly it does make you feel better if there's Uncle Bill and Auntie Mabel looking at you from the side. And you think, this is something I know, you know. That's my family and there's my guns, you know, I feel all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, some of the folks who landed on the moon and looked back at the earth had spiritual experiences. Just that, oh, here I am and that's there and that's where I came from you, know, and you, you can't really describe what that feels like um, so it's any kind of shock anything that distracts you from duality that you know, disrupts your usual way of seeing and experiencing is likely to produce a nyam and we talked about how nyams functioned in terms of being the psychophysical elements relaxing into their own condition. This is a phrase that it might be a good idea to write down. It's not an arbitrary one I'm using. The psychophysical <coughs> elements, earth, water, fire, air and space, uh, are related to all kinds of other things. Ta-da! <laughs> we shall now talk about it. Could you repeat the line that you said? Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> yes, sorry, I couldn't help that. Could I repeat the... Oh, um, the one that you said that yeah. writing down? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the psychophysical psychophysical meaning being um, uh, physical, psychological, emotional, it's a spread. Mm -hmm. It actually goes beyond psychological and physical into uh, attenuated areas of being. But uh, So it's the psychophysical elements relaxing into their own condition their own natural condition, that is. And so each element is related with many things in terms of the body, in terms of the natural world, you know, you know that which reality is comprised of in terms of rocks, water, etc. Um, you know, through the intellect, through the emotions, through uh, visionary experience, they're each a continuum.